0: Welcome to Tell Me More, a podcast series featuring distinguished visitors to Tufts University who share their ideas, discuss their work, and shed light on important topics of the day. Elected to Congress in 2014, Will Hurd is the only African American Republican in the U.S. House of Representatives. Before being elected to Congress, where he has represented the 23rd Congressional District of Texas for three consecutive terms. Heard served for nearly a decade as an undercover CIA officer in the Middle East and South Asia. In August, Congressman Heard announced that he will not seek re election in 2020. In this episode of Tell Me More, in an event sponsored by the Tisch College of Civic Life, Tufts undergraduate George Barakas interviews Heard about his now famous live streamed road trip with fellow Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, the lessons he learned from his experiences in the CIA, and his decision not to seek reelection in 2020. Let's listen in.
1: Thank you, Congressman, for coming. We know you have a busy schedule. Um, I want to start with with you know why you got into politics. I think you're sort of a fascinating guy. You served in the CIA overseas. Um, tour of duty in Afghanistan and as an undercover agent. So what made you move from that area of service into politics and then the second part of that is what is making you leave politics now? So why did I run for Congress? And and let me give a quick
2: background. Um, I'm a computer science major at Texas A&M University. I had never really been outside of Texas at that point in my life. And um, I see a sign that says, take two journalism classes in Mexico City for $425. I had 450 bucks in my bank account, so I go to Mexico. And um, fell in love being in another culture. I thought it was cool seeing things I only read about in books. And I in did international studies as a minor. The first class I took, I had this CIA badass, and that began my interest in the CIA. I I thought it was a a great way for me to be able to serve my country in, in exotic places. And so I was a case officer, so I was the dude in the back alleys at 4 o'clock in the morning collecting intelligence on threats to our homeland. Um, my job was to recruit spies and steal secrets. My, my job was to stop terrorists from uh, blowing up our, our, our homeland, to stop Russian spies from stealing our secrets, and, and to put nuclear weapons proliferators out of business. And Best job on the planet, by the way. Um, I did I did two years in D.C., two years in India, two years in Pakistan, two years in New York City, and then a year and a half in Afghanistan, where I managed um, all of our cover operations. So, in addition to collecting intelligence, I had to brief members of Congress, and I was pretty shocked by the caliber of our elected officials. Right, the people I met were morons, to be to be honest. And and the story I've told, I um. Um, I'm in, I'm in Afghanistan in Kabul, 2007-2008, a bomb goes off in front of our embassy, takes out a section of our wall, kills some of our local guards, my unit was responsible for trying to figure out what happened, we conduct a couple dozen operations, and we had a hipsy codel that night, a House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, Congressional Delegation, and I go into this briefing, and the, the senior person on this delegation had been on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence for five years. Ask again, 2007, why, why was Iran supporting the Taliban in Afghanistan the way Iran was supporting other groups in Iraq? Mediocre question at best, but at least they got all the right people, the players, right. And so I started explaining the Sunni-Shia divide. And this congressman goes, Will, what's the difference between a Sunni and a Shia? And I'm thinking he's getting ready to make a really inappropriate joke. And who am I to deny him this opportunity? And <laughs> and my response was, I don't know, Congressman, what's the difference? <laughs> and I'm getting ready to go, but I'm bump bump, right? Didn't know that difference in Islam, right? And I always say, it's okay for my brother not to know that difference because he sells cable in San Antonio but for somebody who makes decisions on sending our boys and girls to places, men and women, excuse me, to places like you know Syria, Afghanistan, Yemen, unacceptable. Someone who's making decisions on spending billions of our tax, rent, our tax dollars. And so what I did, I pushed, we were in a skiff, I pushed my chair out, makes a whole lot of noise, walked out, called these guys who had been talking to me about running for Congress, and I was like, I'm running for Congress. And moved back to San Antonio and lost by 700 votes. But I'm glad I don't tell that story anymore. and, and so the opportunity came to run again and I took it. And so, so I ran because I thought I was gonna be able to help the intelligence community, help my country in a different way. And, and so, so after three tours in, in Congress, um, three terms in Congress, um, look, I've, I, I've gotten 15 pieces of legislation signed in law. That's actually a lot. A lot of people go through uh, uh, multiple decades and get nothing. And I've done it under a Democratic president, a Republican president, a Republican speaker, a Democratic speaker, because guess what? Way more unites us than divides us, and and we work on those issues together. And I'm leaving because just like I left the CIA in order to help the intelligence community in a different way, um, I think I could help my country in a different way. And I'm gonna stay involved and help Republican candidates and Republican primaries. I'm gonna stay involved in working on um, those issues of technology that intersect with national security, some of the things that I care a lot about. Um, and, and look, I'm sure, I'm, I'm everybody's saying I'm retiring. <laughs> I turned 42 last week, right? And, uh, that may be old for y'all, but you know, thank you. But uh, so, so my name will probably be on the ballot again in the future. And you don't have to, you don't have to leave Congress dead or defeated. Right? You, you can, you can leave on your own. And so, I've always done things my way, and that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm looking to serve in a different way.
1: So we had another congressman from Texas here yesterday, Beto O'Rourke. Exactly. I know that you two are good friends, and famously a couple years ago your flight was canceled and you drove up to DC together in the same car, sort of took social media by storm. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk just a little bit about what has happened in, in the halls of Congress um, and the sort of state or uh, bipartisanship or lack thereof, I think, and, and give your thoughts. Sure,
2: on I'll that. talk about the, the road trip and tell some stories about Beto he doesn't want me telling. Um, Beto was the only Texan on the VA committee, the Veterans Affairs Committee, and some veteran service organizations in my district wanted to meet with someone on the VA committee, and so I asked Beto to come down, he said, sure. And we had three meetings. First meeting, the um, our flights get canceled, and I'm a Southwest Airlines guy, and so if you know anything about Southwest, Southwest flies in anything. So if Southwest is canceling, it's serious, right? So it's the snowmageddon of 20, Eight sixteen or fifteen, whenever it was, seventeen, and um, the second the second meeting, Beto's like, let's drive to D.C. (laughs) Third meeting, I said, okay. (laughs) And so I find out after the fact, Beto never thought I was gonna say yes, right? And so he's stuck. So now I can't. I gotta call him out if he if he backs out. And so we rented a 1998 uh, Ford uh, 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 Impala. No, it's Ford Yeah, Ford. Is Ford Impala? Yeah, Chevy Impala. Chevy Impala. And we drive 35 hour trip from San Antonio to Washington D.C. 31 hours in the car, 29 hours live streamed, <laughs> and lit- literally, literally, 29 hours live streamed. Um, and we we debated every single issue uh, imaginable. We talked about healthcare. This was during the the heat, the height of the repeal and replace debate, right? And so we had this that we literally probably talked about six hours of that 29 hours on healthcare. And what I found in that experience, so 25 million people watched us on social media in a a little bit over a day. The Super Bowl gets, what, 22 million, I think, right? And, And what was interesting is the first 90 minutes were terrible, by the way. Beto's driving. We're on Beto's socials, so I'm having to read everything. And look, his socials are a little more liberal-leaning than mine. And um, they were saying some nasty stuff about me. And I was like, man, I was about to be like, Beto, just leave me on the side of the road, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hitchhiking home. Um, but then it, then it broke. And people were like, this is really cool. And so when 25 million people watched something, I, at first I was like, we're just two dudes in a car, right? But it tells me and it showed me that the country is actually clamoring for us to be able to, uh, to disagree without being disagreeable. And it confirmed to me what I had seen in my district. And in my district's 29 counties, two time zones, 820 miles of the border, the US and, and Mexico. It's 71% um, Latino, and it was one of the original swing districts in Texas. Uh, what I learned in my district is way more unites us and divides us, and I confirmed that confirmed that with that road trip. And so, unfortunately though, the way you get clicks on social media, the way people, look, nobody in this room has ever shared an article to their friends to be like, Congress worked, you know? <laughs> it's some crazy thing like, these guys on that side are terrible, those guys on that side are terrible. Um, and and so, so we're seeing that, that the edges continue to harden, harden. But I will also add, my first couple of months in Congress, I was shocked at how warm relations are between members of Congress, a Republican and Democrat. And so the foundation is there for us to actually work together. Now, I think one of the ways we do that is as a structural problem. More districts need to look like mine, where the debate and the competition is in November, not during the primary. About 85% of the, the congressional districts are decided in a primary. In essence, 2% of the population in that district decide who the elected official is going to be. Um, We have some generational defining challenges that we have to meet, and the only way to meet that is through a true competition of ideas, which means you gotta have two strong parties that are willing to engage in that debate, and then making sure your elected officials get rewarded for solving problems and focusing on what unites us. We agree on 80%. And unfortunately, the way our, our, our system is designed we focus on that 20% where we're never going to agree because you win elections by creating contrast. And if you win elections by creating contrast, what do you always do? Create contrast, right? And so if you had more 50/50 districts, you would have people focusing on, you know, solutions.
1: Uh, I think the the point about the two strong parties is important and I think that that competition of ideas is is really, you know, what we need to to solve those challenges. Um, you know, on one of those parties, though, I think that you know the, the Republican Party of which I'm a member, and some of my friends from the Tufts Republicans are here. But um,
2: all three of y'all? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I didn't mean.
2: I didn't mean to say that out loud. You know that's all, that's Yeah.
1: Yeah. We do. We do. We do that. We do. We no. We exist. But um, you know, we <laughs> thrive. We thrive. We do with your help. Um, so. I think that for for a lot of young Republicans, the future for the party looks grim. I mean, you're the only African American Republican in the House, and it's possible that after the next election, there will not be one. This past election, we lost you know Hispanic members, we lost Mia Love, who was another you know African American Republican serving in the House. We lost a lot of um, you know the women Republicans, and when you see the the freshman class Democrat versus Republican, it's really a stark um, a difference where you know one party seems to represent. The demographics of this country better than the other, and it's a long-term problem for the Republican <laughs> Party. Now, yeah. I'm curious what you see as the future of the party post-Trump. I think that's really when we're sort of going to have the the hard conversation, whether that be in next year in 2020 or in you know 2024.
2: So I read something recently that I thought was wrong. Um, this this book I was reading said that Ronald Reagan. And um, George H.W. Bush in 1980, 1984, and 1988 won the youth vote under 29 by more than 30 points, by 30, won by 30 points. I said they got that wrong. They probably meant to say they got 30 percent of the vote. They won it by 30 percent. Percentage points. That's crazy. That is not gonna happen in 2020. It didn't happen in 2018. And so the two largest growing groups of voters in the United States of America are minorities and young people. And so if you're not appealing to people in those two groups, you are going to die. And, and guess what? The best way to do that, and, I, and this is a quote, I, I, I'm quoting myself. Um, <laughs> don't be an asshole. Don't be a misogynist. Don't be racist, don't be a homophobe, don't be Islamophobe, Right? don't be somebody like that. Start with that. It's real simple, right? And then two, show up to communities that's, that you've never been. Now, so my dad's black, my mom's white, um, I, as I said earlier, I represent a 71% Latino district. There's a town called Eagle Pass. Eagle Pass is 85% Democrat, about 90% Latino. First time I showed up when I was running, it was a tardiata it's, it's an afternoon party, 700 people there. And um, when I walked in, three of the band members were elected officials, and they literally stopped playing because they're like, uh, why is herd here? (laughs) And um, 212 people came up to me and asked me a version of this question. The person with me, I told them to count. And they asked me, why are you here? Now, the professional political class would be like, you know, you're with a bunch of Latinos. They're conservative. You should talk about family values, this, that, and the other, macroeconomic theory. My response to that question all 212 times was, I'm here because I like to drink beer and eat barbecue too, (laughs) right? Showing up, engaging, right? I don't care what community you come from. You want the people that you love to be healthy and happy that's that's universal. And so talk about talk about those issues and that's what I've tried to do and that's what I'm gonna try to make sure you have others. And, and you know the, I, I always hate labels, right? Um, you know my birth certificate said I was you know says black. Um, the word biracial didn't exist when I was growing up, right? Um, people always try to pigeonhole you. And the question I hate you're like, well, when did you become a Republican? And I'm like, I don't know what day it was you know it's like uh, there, there are some people that are like since the fourth grade I've been you know doing X Y and Z and it's like okay um and and what it was for me was I got to meet George W Bush when he was governor, we became friends. I knew Rick Perry at the time, he, we, we became friends. I knew you know, a mentor of mine was, was Bob Gates, you know, former Secretary of Defense, former CIA officer. My dad grew up in a city and his, his grandfather, a city called Marshall, Texas. The first Jim Crow law in Texas was in Marshall, Texas where my dad w- was born. And so you had a lot of Republicans that came to Marshall after the Civil War to help with Reconstruction. And that's what influenced my forebearers that, that lived there, right? And so for me, part of it is the people that I've met that I've I've that have have inspired me were were conservative leaning and unfortunately right now if you're under the age of forty you got to whisper I'm a Republican right because my, many, none of us remember Ronald Reagan right some maybe y'all remember George W at the side of of, of the towers that were that were that the Al Qaeda hit. On the bullhorn saying we hear you right um, and so so having some of those folks that are talking about the future and the future Republican Party is a lot like the one that I joined you solve problems by empowering people not the government the way you help people move up the economic ladder is through free markets not socialism and the way you achieve and maintain peace is by being nice with nice guys and tough with tough guys. That's the future party. Now, I would say foreign policy right now is be nice with tough guys and tough with nice guys, right? Which is the exact opposite of where it should be. But that's, that's and there's a lot of people, Elise Stefanik, you know, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Baker. Um, you know, there, there's uh, John Katko in, in New York, a guy running in Houston called Wesley Hunt, uh, Nicole Malliotakis in, in New York City. There, there, there are some other people that are like that.
1: You represent a district on the border. Um, I think it's fair to say that the immigration issue as a whole has become poisoned in the past few years in a way that it has not been before. Um, so, you know, it, it's obviously a crisis of, of many, there are many facets of the crisis, you know, people are dying sure. and Congress can't seem to do anything substantive on it. Um, so how are we going to break out of that and, and you know, start saving lives at the border?
2: First, let me start with building a 30-foot-high concrete structure from sea to shining sea is the most expensive and least effective way to do border security, right? Um, y- there is a crisis that we're dealing with. There's a lot of illegal drugs coming into our country, about $35 billion, and put that con- in the context, Starbucks made last year, I think, $28 billion. McDonald's did like thirty-one billion. So there's more illegal drugs than lattes and Big Macs, right? Um, and and then you know the the, the number you know one point two million people will probably have come into our country illegally this year. We need to streamline legal immigration. The US has benefited from the brain drain of every other country for the last couple of decades. Let's continue that. And let's benefit from the hardworking drain as well too. If you're gonna be a productive member of our society, let's get you here as quickly as possible. And I don't know if there's any foreign students that are here, but you know, a foreign student that goes to a a US university when you have your diploma, I want to stick a visa in there in that tube and when you walk, when you walk across, because I want you to work at a US company. I want you to start a company here in the, in the United States, so let's streamline that. And, 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 so, and ultimately, when you have a policy, let's talk about family separations. If a policy is to snatch a child out of their mother's arms, you need to go back to the drawing board. right? That is not who we are as a people, that is not a deterrence, and that is not something that we should be doing. But we need to be addressing root causes in Central America. That's violence, um, extreme poverty, and lack of economic opportunity, specifically in the Northern Triangle, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. I think we should have a special representative to, to that region, a senior diplomat, who can coordinate all of our activity Uh, with those three countries. Oh, and by the way, where is the Organization of American States in this? Where is the International Development Bank on this? This is not just a US and Mexico problem, this is a Western Hemisphere problem, and we need all the Western Hemisphere involved. right? That's why we should be strengthening alliances um, as well. Uh, We should treat drug trafficking organizations and and human smugglers and and human traffickers, um, we should increase the amount of intelligence that we're collecting on them to stop them before they actually get to our shores. You do those things and and streamline legal immigration. Now, I will say this. Pete Aguilar, a uh, a Democrat from California, and I, I always feel like that's a joke, like a Republican from Texas and a Democrat from California walking to a bar, Um, and we had a bill called the USA Act. Border security, streamline legal immigration, address root causes in Central America and deal with some of the the, the judicial problems that we have, right, the the immigration laws. We whipped it. A whip is counting the number of votes you have for a a bill, 245 people. Now Paul Ryan at the time was Speaker of the House, preventing it from coming to the floor even though we had the votes. Now Nancy Pelosi is preventing it from coming from the floor even though we have the votes. Why a lot of both sides think that this issue is going to play well for them uh, politically in campaigns, which that's one of the the more frustrating parts. Because I can tell you ultimately what would pass what would pass Congress. Do I have time to tell a final story before before we depart? Actually, I'm the one that's got to leave. So, um, um, yes, you do, Will. Um, so when when um, when you're in the CIA and you're going to meet someone that's giving you secrets, you got to do a SDR, surveillance detection route. And I'm in a Toyota Tercel, it's a little small car, um, in a city I had never been in before, about to turn down an alley, which I thought was completely abandoned. I turned down this alley. It was like a parade, a couple thousand people. I'm going four miles an hour, people all over my car, pack animals, you name it. A woman walks in front of my car. I mash on my brake. I roll over her flip-flop and I drag her foot across the concrete, bust her toe wide open, it's bleeding, meat's hanging out, it's super nasty. And she looks in the car and realizes I'm not from around there and starts screaming bloody murder. I have what felt like hundreds of people banging on my car, shaking my car. And the standard operating procedure in this situation is get off the X. The X is a location where something's going down And the last place you wanna be where something's going down is where it's going down. Um, But my little Tercel wouldn't be able to get me far. I had a weapon, but not enough ammunition for this situation. So I did what they least expected. I unfolded my six foot four frame out of this little tiny car, and everybody was shocked. And I knew some of the local language, but not enough for this situation. So I said, does anybody speak English? And this kid, part of the crowd, raised a finger and said, I speak the English. And I said, sir, where's the closest hospital? He asked the crowd, about four blocks away. I said, fetch me a rickshaw. Rickshaw is like a scooter with a carriage. Rickshaw pulls up. Uh, I make a big display of giving the woman some money. She gets in the rickshaw. My translator gets in the rickshaw. And I said, take her to the hospital immediately. And they drive away, and the crowd starts clapping. Some dude literally opens my car door for me to get, get back in. I get in, the the sea of people part, I'm driving away, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and everybody's waving at me, right? (laughs) And my heart is beating, because I thought my mother was going to get a phone call that no mother ever wants to get, right? Now, it's a fun story to tell today, because I'm on my third vanilla latte, right? I'm getting ready to go have a a nice dinner uh, with some friends later tonight. But I tell that story, because there are thousands of men and women every single day and every single night putting themselves in harm's way in order for us to enjoy the rights and privileges that we have, right? And these are men and women that had previously sat in your chairs, right? Because we need more people like that. And I hope, we're t- we, This is a, this is a college that talks about civic engagement. There is no higher honor that I've had in my life than to serve my country in some of those crazy places, right? And I just hope that as many of y'all think about what you're going to do in the future, that you think about an opportunity to join the diplomatic corps or intelligence services because it really is a, a noble profession and something that allows all of us to engage in that competition of ideas. So it's thanks for, for letting me come by. You know, um, God bless y'all, and may God continue to bless these United States of America.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And to be the first to hear about new episodes, please follow Tufts University on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd also welcome your thoughts on the series. You can reach us at tellmemore at tufts.edu. That's T-U-F-T-S dot E-D-U. Tell Me More is produced by Katie McLeod-Strollo, Dave Nusher, and Anna Miller. This episode was edited by 5 to 9 Media and Anna Miller. Web production and editing support provided by Taylor McNeil. Special thanks to the Jonathan M. Tisch College of Civic Life. Our theme music is sourced from DeWolf Music And my name is Patrick Collins. Until next time, be well.